What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Pass the Torch. I'm your host, Danny Healy, and we keep the train rolling here in 2023. Make sure you hammer that subscribe button wherever you're listening and share the love with some friends. Toss the link to this episode in a group chat of people looking to gain an edge in life and feel motivated. This episode will do it for them. Today, we have another special guest in Johnny Oduya, one of the great names in hockey history, but also one of the greatest players to ever lace up the skates. He's now retired, but he was a two-time Stanley Cup champion with the Chicago Blackhawks. Olympic silver medalist playing for Team Sweden, and he's a great underdog story in hockey. He's one of the very few players in NHL history to be of Kenyan descent. So we chat about his journey in the NHL and all the greatest lessons he's learned along the way and what set apart his winning teams from the rest of the pack. Johnny's also doing a lot to inspire greatness beyond the ice with his new brand called the Tunia. We dive into why he started the clothing brand, as Atunia is a utility performance brand that helps athletes gain a competitive edge through precision-engineered apparel powered by the best sustainable technologies. Atunia explores ideas of extreme functionality and durability to come up with products that withstand intense use and adapt smoothly, even to the most eccentric body motions. Atunia's collection includes compression wear made to boost circulation and keep distractions at a bare minimum. Atunia's products inhabit the growth of odor to stay fresh longer and reduce necessary washes, saving water, energy, and time. So head to atunia.com today, link is in the podcast description, and use code TORCH15 for 15% off your order. That's code TORCH15 at atunia.com for 15% off. You'll thank us later. Also, before diving into today's episode, make sure you subscribe to our Morning Bliss Daily Sports newsletter if you have yet to do so. It's everything you need to know about the world of sports delivered right to your email inbox in five minute or less read. It's sports centered in an email. So go to torchboard.com today and sign up. The link is in this podcast description. You will thank us later. But we have a very exciting announcement with the Blitz. And if you're like me and you hate to read, you can't open the newsletter every day and get through it. So we launched an audio podcast version of the Morning Blitz so you can take the best recap in sports on the go. Just search Morning Blitz anywhere you get your podcasts and subscribe today to become a Smarter Sports fan. You will love it. So now, here's my incredible conversation with the two-time champion, Johnny Oduya. Make sure you subscribe wherever you are listening, and let's go. Awesome. So, Johnny Oduya, thank you for joining the Pass the Torch podcast today. Super excited to have you on. How you been? I'm good. Thank you for uh, having me. Of course. Of course. So, we're going to talk a lot today about your journey to the NHL, all the greatest lessons you've learned along the way, but growing up in Sweden as well. And I want to start there in your very beginning of the journey. So, I know you're Swedish, you grew up there, but your dad, right, is of Kenyan descent. So, tell me a little bit more about your family's history and how that all ties in. Yes. Um... Yeah, like I said, I, I grew up in uh, Stockholm or right outside of Stockholm. And yeah, basically um, basically grew up with my mom and my, uh, my sister, my older brother. Uh, my dad moved back to Kenya when I was two or something like that. So um, my mom had to work uh, extra hard, I think, to especially with the two young boys that are running around and... Uh, yeah, now when I see when I see everybody's having kids around me as well, and then now I understand like, oh, okay, now I understand why you put them into sports because you can't have them around the house, right? Exactly. Uh, so, uh, so I think that's uh, that's what it was a lot, and then um, you know, moving into um, moving into hockey uh, quite early, my brother played, so um, 
It was uh, it was quite natural. I think I was like two weeks or something first time at the hockey rink. Really, and, really, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I think I got, I got brainwashed quite early. Learned to skate before you could walk, almost. Um, not really. I don't think I skated until I was five or six, maybe six. So I think I actually was quite late. My brother started earlier. He was like four or something when he started. So I was quite, quite late. Yep. I think uh, parents nowadays probably want to get their kids to start skating when they're like, yeah, even before walking almost feels like. It's crazy. It is crazy. Yeah. Was it always just hockey for you? You mentioned your mouth through in a couple sports. Did you play anything else? Mostly not. I think it was it was mostly hockey for me for for some reason. I mean, I tr you know you played some soccer in school or basketball, but never really organized. So uh, for me, hockey was uh, yeah the one thing that I wanted to do and and that I spent a lot of time doing. So um, yeah. Growing up as a young kid playing hockey, was it always your dream to make the NHL? Was that always what you had in your mind? Yeah, as far as I can remember, I think that was. Uh, I, I mean, back then in the 90s, they started to, uh, they showed, uh, back then it wasn't that much hockey you could watch, you know, Swedish television. So I remember we got this like uh, a sports channel, it's like Super Sports or something. I can't remember what the name was back then, but this kind of like, um, you know, cable pay-per-view channel. And uh, there was hockey games like once a week or something in the middle of the night. And uh, you should record them on the VHS, right? And uh, my brother used to do that and watch them. And that's mostly what I watched, actually. I mean, of course, you watch... Um, uh, the players that are older the older than you and maybe that are local also but mostly mostly i had um, he was following the boston bruins a lot and ray bork at the time uh, and legend he, yeah exactly so um i think i i got the same ideas trickled down on me where i wanted to uh yeah i always always had that in my mind i was never really big on on national team or or winning anything in sweden or olympics or world championships or anything like that it was never it was not the top of my interest of course uh, it's always an honor if you're if you're in a national team but it wasn't something that i think i i, I looked at when i was uh, when i was young and uh, and then of course after that you know a couple of years after then all of these uh, computer games started to appear where you can be hockey players and the nhl was that like the first year? So it's like 92 or 93 or something like that. And uh, of course, then, you know, then you start to play in that a lot. And um, yeah, I think that the interest grows from there, maybe. Yeah, yep, totally. And so it's I always find it fascinating because I actually had another Swedish NHL player on the podcast a few episodes ago, Michael Backlund. Um, and so yeah. I was talking to him and I always found it fascinating because he was talking about some of his mentors and role models growing up were the American NHL players. So there wasn't many two guys in Sweden that you looked up to at an early age. It was more of the NHL stars. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, he's uh, probably 10 years younger, younger than me. So, uh, I mean, we had plenty of of Swedish NHL players you can look up to. So right. I don't think that that was ever a problem. Uh, but I think maybe for the generation that was maybe 10 years older than me, I think maybe at that point, uh, also like I don't know like Olympics or national team or something like that maybe it would have been more uh, interesting I don't know if it's different for different people I, I think most of the kids growing up now probably have you know the Stanley Cup in mind uh, I would I would assume that they do in Sweden as well but uh, so it's like from generation to generation I think it, it shifted over more and more uh, whereas now there's so many players also Swedish in the NHL it must be a new record this year I would assume so, um, 
it becomes more and more of course and then you know in the 70s or 80s was wasn't that many so maybe that's what that wasn't the thing you were thinking about you know and and things are now more global now and uh, seen all the time i mean you can follow NHL now basically 24 hours if you want to with games and updates and social media and all these things so you you uh uh, you can't get away from the game even if you want to now. So that's completely different from before, of course. But yeah. Yeah, the power of social media is incredible. And I think it's a good thing yeah. for the game. It's growing the game. But you mentioned your NHL career. And so you did have the honor to play on a national team, but I want to stick with the NHL theme right now. So I think it was a 2006 and seven season that you made your NHL debut with the New Jersey Devils, right? Did you have a kind of welcome to the NHL moment? Well, first of all, I... Uh, I felt very fortunate at that time. We were right on the salary cap and a lot of things were changing around in the NHL. We went from from big players to small players and players that could could skate and move. I remember that shift quite uh, quite well. And I think that opened up an opportunity for me. I think if I would have been two or three years earlier, uh, that would not have been the case. I would have been too small. I remember in my draft year, trying to make myself as big and uh, heavy as possible and uh, to not be overlooked at, you know, whatever, uh, 5'11 and a half. I was trying to stretch myself as much as possible. And, uh, you know, at that time, like if you're a defender and, and you were under 200 pounds, it was almost like, no, no, there's no chance you can play in the NHL, right? So I think I hit that switch perfectly where there was a need for more mobile defenders uh, that could skate and move. And of course, also getting the opportunity from uh, uh, Lou was uh, was a big, big thing, of course. So uh, I don't know exactly what that moment was, but uh, I always had a sense that uh, I, I could play in the NHL or I belonged there for some reason. And uh, it felt very natural actually coming in and doing that. But uh, of course, you know, in the first game, I think I played Carolina my first game uh, and... Uh, yeah, some, somebody acknowledged that before the game, like, and just enjoy the game, whatever it is. And you go out on the ice and warm up and you actually realize that, oh, okay, you're, this is like kind of it now. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think that's, um, that's a nice, uh, nice first experience to have. Yeah. And, uh, realize, realize that the thing is you've been looking at uh, actually comes to, comes to life. Yeah. You got to pinch yourself in that pregame skate. But I think it, like you mentioned, um, it wasn't really an easy road. You weren't this first round draft pick. It wasn't a sure thing that you were going to find an NHL roster spot. So for you in that kind of in-between period in the fringe was when you're going to get the call up and all that. Was there a lot of self-doubt? Uh, no, not really. I mean, uh, coming from... Uh, <laughs> I think there might be, you know, if you're a first rounder, it might be opportunity for you to have more self-doubt possibly. I don't right. know. But if you're, if you're coming from like underneath, so to speak, there's uh, the, nobody believes that you can do anything. So either you believe it or nobody's going to believe it. And if you do something, then people are actually surprised. And that's usually quite positive. And then they see that you're working hard and they want to give you opportunities. And I think there's a lot of upside from that as well. You know, there's, I can see myself as fortunate sometimes with that compared to some of the other players that maybe, you know, are a first round pick and uh, you're supposed to live up with all these standards and people are expecting things of you. And maybe you're not mature enough to actually deal with that at the moment. So there, there's many, um, I've seen a lot of players go the other way in this league, not have the ability to deal with that pressure in that way. So 
Uh, I'm not necessarily sure what's what's better or worse. Uh, of course, it looks better if you go in the first round, and uh, you might be paid a little bit more upfront. But uh, but other than that, uh, I think every every way that anybody has uh, has to be, uh, you know, it will be their way, and it will be the way that's you know uh, laid in front of them, uh, so to speak, without being too uh, poetic. But uh, uh, I, I always felt that was good for me, taking everything in steps. I could develop in the, the way I needed. And uh, that's also why I preach now to younger players that find, uh, you don't have to be ready, ready right away. Uh, but you need to understand what you need to do and then progress into that. And then don't be frustrated. Maybe if things don't uh, work out as, uh, as you want, uh, like right from the get-go. But is it possible to uh, develop slowly nowadays? And And I don't know. I think the game has changed a lot there. Like the league is a lot younger and you need to be prepared earlier than before. You were given more time. Uh, but uh, yeah, everybody has their way and then is the possibility to find that. So yeah. It can be a blessing in disguise almost to be kind of a lower round draft pick and like you said, not have that much pressure as a first round guy. As a lower round draft pick, you could play with a chip on your shoulder and, and really prove yourself. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think there's uh, there's enormous value to that. There's enormous value to you know, battling, it's almost like this thing where you're, you're the first, you're the first seed in the playoffs going in or you're the eighth seed. Like there's a reason why every year there's one or two upsets in the, in the first round. It's because you battle all the way in and you're prepared when you get there, you know? And I think this is similar too. Like if you never hit obstacle and you're always the superstar and then all of a sudden you come into a team where there's 15 other superstars, like what are you going to do? And that's a lesson that some kind of overcome and they understand how to deal with it that then can progress and then some just wither away and they they can't do it for some reason so uh yeah i think that the concept is uh, it's interesting and there's value you know on both sides of course yeah you can play with nothing to lose and so yeah. fast forwarding a little bit in your career you get traded to the chicago blackhawks and in 2013 you win your first stanley cup and that's got to be probably just the greatest moment of your sports career to this time right like what was that feeling hoisting the cup, uh, walk skating around the ice on home or away ice, sorry, in Boston. What was that moment like for you? Yeah, I think the whole, I mean, the whole, that whole season was, uh, was quite spectacular. I mean, I think we won, well, we didn't lose the first 23 or 24 games or something like wow. that. I think that that team was, I remember sitting on the bench and just watching, you know, <laughs> watching uh, Duncan and Siebes and whoever was on the ice, like Taser or uh, Hose. And, the, the, you know, they were just playing around with the puck and nobody could touch the puck for like 15 minutes. And I was like, this is not normal. <laughs> like, yeah. it was like, I had the best seat, the best seat possible to watch, uh, uh, watch some of these guys and, of course, be a part of that too. But uh, we had a really good team. And um, even with that, it wasn't set up. Nothing, you know, is set in stone when it comes, especially what we talked about within the playoffs, you know. So we had, uh, we had a game seven uh, at home against Detroit there, I think. Yeah, basically it could have gone either way i think we were down 3-1 also in that series yeah. and actually came back and and uh there's always like in every playoff i feel this one or two games that are like that which shifts everything it could have gone the other way and uh, now it didn't and uh, that got our uh, you know not the hopes up but we you always have that pressure on you to to deliver that right because you, know, you know like wow this is a really good chance and will we uh 
what if we miss it now, you know? So um, I think the experience of the guys before that they won in 2010, I think that helped a lot. And then just, to, you know, we played hard. The playoffs was, was fun. And I think also the ending there was so fast. Like we, we were waiting for almost like overtime of another game where first we were losing and then everything shifts. So I think it was just chaos for for a certain amount of time before we realized what was going on and then um, you know the party's the party's on right yeah. so um, uh, i always appreciate what the, what the nhl is doing which, when you actually get the cup afterwards as well because that the, the first week there was just i remember one or two days in i'm like oh so the parade is on friday and today it's like wednesday and now it's been a party for two days i'm like how's this like how's this gonna <laughs> this is not gonna land well you know right and um and everything is just one big commotion and then you get the cup and then you can have it uh, at home a couple of months later and that that's really when everything lands i think for everybody that you can share it with your family and friends and bring it to people and and uh, i i really think that's a cool thing i wish more leagues actually did that uh, and not just the nhl but i think it's cool that um, uh, that the league is doing that and uh, it, it really binds together any everything and gets you yeah, you, you can reflect more and uh, and uh, have some time to do that in between. It's a really cool thing. I always love seeing the videos of the players with the cup and whatnot. I think the Stanley Cup is the greatest trophy in sports, and it's it's not even close. But going back to that game six against the Bruins in 2013, the night you guys won, you guys were losing 2-1 in the final two minutes of the third period, I believe. And then there was a quick call with like under two minutes, and then you hit the slap shot from that blue line, right? And I forget who tapped it in, but that was the game winner. And so that talk about coming back and being down in the series, like, and everything happening so fast, like, do you even remember that final two minutes? And like, what was that? Must have been hectic, right? Because in the Bruins' minds, they're like, all right, we're pushing to game seven. All the Bees fans think we're going to game seven. And just like that, you guys are holding up Lord Stanley on, on their home ice. Yeah, it was really fast, exactly like you're explaining. It moved from one thing to another. Uh, I think Bixie scored first. There was a couple of nice plays there. And then, um, yeah, we basically got lucky. I mean, we were just, we just wanted to attack. I mean, we, we put, basically put the fourth line on the ice and me and Hammer to make sure that nobody scored more than trying to score maybe. And uh, we just got into a zone. I put a shot off and... Uh, I think Fro Fro Leak tipped it and then Boland uh, put it in and uh, I remember looking at the clock and I don't know how much it was left. It wasn't that much left, like a minute or something. Yeah, like less than that. seconds, I think. Yeah, it was something like that. And um, yeah, we, yeah, we were just thinking at the time that okay, let's uh, we're not celebrating yet. So let's uh, let's see here what's uh, what's going on. So we got a couple of more thing, a couple of more minutes to defend. But uh, yeah, I think that the whole thing was just strange. Yeah to be honest with you and it felt like it was uh in some ways maybe uh, it was supposed to be like that uh, and yeah it's really strange everything happened really fast yep. uh, but a lot of fun of course and then any way you can take a win at that i mean the bruins were magnificent that like the whole series was yeah extremely extremely tough to play so um hmm. yeah uh, I, we, we were happy any way we can get it I think you're, you're, you're happy 100% point, so. no yeah. 100% and congrats to you guys on that and then 
Like, again, you do it in 2015. You win your second Stanley Cup, and, like, the Blackhawks, Chicago Blackhawks, just become one of the greatest dynasties in all of sports because you mentioned they won before you got there. And so you were talking about playing NHL, the video game, and whatnot growing up as a kid. And I think anyone who grew up in that age group where NHL was popular and the Blackhawks were the dynasty, using them in the NHL, the video game, was just a completely unfair disadvantage <laughs> to anyone playing. And it was the best thing ever. I always loved picking them, even as a Bruins fan. Yeah, that's uh, that's funny because I think as soon as you, uh, you know, when you're a kid, you create your like your own uh, your own player, right? And you give him all the best stats all the time, and then uh, once I actually got a player uh, from the from the video games, I start stop playing them for for some reason. I don't know. Uh, maybe it was because my stats were so bad, so I didn't want to <laughs> see how bad my, my my guy was. So I wanted to you know create my own and have 99 on everything, right? Uh, yeah. So, but um, yeah. Uh, yeah, we had a good team. We had a really, really good team. I mean, in 15, we had, uh, I think the team was good also, but then at that point, I think we leaned on a lot of experience. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's a, that's a big difference, especially when you come to the finals. And uh, we we just we could sense that I, I felt extremely calm and very present the whole time. And that, that was something that I set out also because of the commotion that I wanted to enjoy uh, enjoy the playoffs as much as possible and enjoy that whole journey and uh, have a different perspective, you know, from the first time. I, I remember some of the other guys talking about that as well in, in 15 that have been there in 2010, that you view it differently. Like they're all, it's like your kids, uh, right? That, that uh, uh, you love them for different reasons and then for different, different times, uh, so to speak. And uh, it's the same thing here. Like the first one is also always the commotion. And then you start to realize and understand actually what's going on. And then you appreciate that a lot also. So it would have been lovely to get a third one and, uh, and also experience that. But uh, I think uh, uh, I'm, I'm quite fortunate enough to be a part of two. So, yeah. Yeah, I think you'll take two. And I guess, like, like you said, it's hard to kind of embrace the moment when you're in the heat of it and things are happening so fast. So I think it's really cool that you got that opportunity in 2015. But so in 2018, I believe you retired from the NHL and kind of wrapping up your NHL career here. I guess if you look back on your NHL career, what are you most proud about as a player? Oof, that's a good question. No, but I, I think I was always, uh, uh, and the same thing now. I think I, I think I'm a quite, quite adaptable and curious individual. Uh, I wanted to, I wanted to be useful for my team and to be useful for my teammates. And and although um, you know selfishly I want to perform and be good, uh, I feel like I. I'm at my best when I'm actually useful also for, for somebody else. Mm -hmm. That I can have coaches trust me, I can have uh, teammates trust me. You know, I think I, I wasn't especially good at anything, but maybe not terrible at anything either. So I was kind of like hoovering around in the middle and nobody knew I was there, which is a role <laughs> that I actually liked. And yep. uh, yeah, I would, I would say that that's w what I'm most proud of. And I was, I, I stuck with it for uh, for quite a long time, and uh, yeah, I think that's what I'm I'm mostly proud of. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. You banked a lot of different games, and I think that is because you were adaptable, right? You were able to fit into different roles, into different locker rooms, and different positions on the ice. So, um, again, kudos to you in your hockey career. But moving on here, you're more than a hockey player, right? You want to inspire greatness beyond the ice, right, to the next generation. So, I want to turn to your new venture here, Atunia. 
Um, and I'll let you speak to what it's all about and your inspiration for finding the company. But just quickly, it's it's an athletic apparel company with high quality, sustainable technologies, right, to really help athletes achieve their peak performance. But this is a new venture for you. So what was your inspiration for starting Atunia? Yeah, there's there's a couple of components, I think, to that. And, and number one is... Um the performance factor and you know coming from the sport and and i always looked at whatever we were wearing at the rink and i thought uh, there's some there's some holes in uh, in quality there's uh, there's some holes in sustainability i don't understand why why you can't work and be in hard performance and then move into sustainability and when i talk about sustainability yes materials are one thing but also uh, you know maybe production and the way that we create things and uh, also actually have them last for a long time so so why not have quality in the things that you actually wear and you wear them all the time and you see this in in many many other sports and many especially in the outdoor community where high quality products uh, are you know, it's, it's, it's a given almost. And uh, there's some enormous brands that are doing that. And when it, comes to, um, when it comes to team sports, that maybe that is not the main focus or haven't been. And uh, I, don't, I never understood why you can't be, you know, performance and, and thinking about those things at the same time. I think in the future, you see all the bigger brands now are moving in that direction. Uh, if I would have talked about this five years ago when I started to do this, there, there was nothing, right? And uh, now it's becoming a given, something that you do. It's like free Wi-Fi at the hotel, right? Yeah. And you don't think about that anymore. But a couple of years ago, people were like, oh, what's the Wi-Fi code? We right. need to figure out the Wi-Fi code, you know? Uh, so it's a hygiene factor and it should be a hygiene factor. Um, you know, when you, we do produce a lot of things in the world, so why not do it in a smart way? And uh, so that's one thing. And then, of course, also hockey as, um, as a sport is, is very interesting to look at. I think the community and the people that play the game are, uh, are quite uh, traditional. And in some ways, that's positive. In some ways, uh, maybe a challenge. And if you look at what the world looks like outside of hockey, it moves quite fast and it changes. Whereas in the sport, it's not that it's not that we're not moving but uh, to get influences and we're not just talking about you know diversity in social economics or or um, ethnic whatever standards or whatever you would call it also influence of creativity and and do things the new way and changing things and uh, i think we see that when it comes to tactics and in, in hockey in the nhl you know somebody runs a new power play and scores a couple of goals have a good team and then all of a sudden everybody's going to do the same thing right so i think new influences and way of looking at things and be creative i think i think uh, there's there's possibility for the growth for the game to grow and also to attract other individuals that are maybe not typically looking at hockey at the moment and this is one of the main things that i think will be interesting for the future uh, i've talked about this before and especially in sweden where uh, we've seen a development where you know society is, is expanding in some ways and we're not really attracting different cultures coming into the sport i think that's uh, that's a huge mistake and something that we really should look at i mean soccer now i think in canada have the same challenge where soccer is taking up a lot of these new young kids that want to get into sports and hockey is just too complicated for that and maybe uh, they have a tough time identify uh, with uh, with whatever's going on in the game right and of course we can talk about this cost money and it's more exp expensive but if we're going to hide behind that then i also think that will be a barrier right so let's talk about actually what we can do instead of 
trying to talk about you know all these uh, all these uh, money barriers that's uh, that's the challenge and uh, one really good example when it comes to hockey and and the, the culture and how it is it's when I started with Atunia too is that there's no hockey brands that live outside of the sport oh. and I think that's that's very interesting because all other major sports actually transcend into others parts of society and hockey doesn't do that and also you have the opposite flip where Nike bought Bauer in the 90s and when it transcend and come into the sport and they actually sold them back and now they're not in the game anymore uh, there might be a bunch of reasons to that maybe the quality of the products and all these things right but Nike is the biggest brand in the world and they couldn't do that and why is that uh, and I think this is really interesting to look at so how do we how do we bridge the gap and how do we if we want to spread this game to Asia or Africa or, you know, South America or whatever it is, which I think would, could, be, uh, could be a cool thing to do, then what does it look like and how do you do that? Just watch now what uh, the Formula One was doing uh, with this Netflix series, yeah. for example. I, have, I don't know how many people that have talked to me now like, oh, it's Sunday, I'm going to watch the race. I'm like, what? you don't even like cars. Right. And they did something, they expanded something, they were thinking in a new way, and all of a sudden they got millions of new fans, right, all over the world that never watched a car before in their life. And how do we apply this mindset into the sport of hockey? I think that's, uh, that's an interesting topic to, uh, to discuss. So for me, that is what Atunia is all about. Like, how do, we, how do we expand this and how we get new influences and how do we develop and w can we look a different way? Can we, can we talk a different way? Can we do certain things and still keep the, the culture and the core? I mean, we're not going to throw everything out. Like, hockey is a wonderful community. Like, anywhere you go in the world, you meet hockey players. I've been to a lot of different places. Africa and Kenya, I've been in Thailand. All of these places you go to, the hockey community is wonderful. Like people are bound together through the sport uh, in the weirdest places you can imagine, where it's just pure love for hockey. So there's, there's an enormous power in that. Uh, but in that also, uh, is there a way to develop that? And that, like, how do we play around with that? Uh, yeah. I think that's, that's the short answer of, uh, <laughs> of your question with the Tunia. Yeah. yeah, no, and I, I'm not, I didn't grow up playing hockey. I've, I've been a hockey fan my whole life, but really working with Torch Pro, I've really been introduced to the hockey community through our core of Joe Pavelski, obviously, who's our co-founder. But I really felt that, right? Like they are very welcoming and every NHL athlete we've ever worked with has been amazing. And so you feel yeah. that culture. And I think it is trying to spread that into other regions of the world is super important. And your other point of like spreading your brand of Atunia beyond hockey is a unique approach, I think as well, because you mentioned the Bauer example. And I have an Atunia package coming my way in the mail right now, and I'm fired up about it, um, but I'm not a hockey player. So I think that's kind of that crossover that you're looking for, right? Yeah. Yeah, correct. Yep, exactly. And then another component is kind of there's an ode to your, your background as being Kenyan and bring hockey culture there. I think I was going around on your website. There's only one hockey rink, I think, in the entire country, right? And yes. um, I think there's half a, a rink, actually. Half a rink? <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not a full size rink, no. Yeah. And so I think spreading the culture of hockey there is a big like brand pillar of you guys, correct? Yes, and it was it's actually cool because they um, they already have a hockey program and they they've been doing some things before. They have a, a couple of commercials that they filmed. I think they did one with Tim Hortons a couple of years back, and uh, it's cool because they use this. Uh, 
they use this community to bring people uh, maybe out of some troubled areas and into the sport. And with the, with the money they get from doing some of these commercials and shoots and things they're doing, they now obviously pay for school. Uh, we have also a funding program with that as well. So we're trying to, uh, you know, we're plugging into what they're already been doing for a while, which is amazing. Because otherwise, you know, going there and try to start new things could be quite a challenge. So uh, we... Um, with all the things that we're doing, then uh, if, if somebody's interested in helping out doing certain things around that, then please, uh, uh, you know, contact us uh, around that. Uh, there's always things to do. Uh, we want to do some things locally there. We do some other things in, in Stockholm as well uh, with some of the communities. So there's, uh, there's a lot of things to do. But yes, it's part of the brand and uh, uh, we're trying to trying to find a different angle and a different approach. Like I said, that, that this looks like... Um, uh, looks uh, a little different yeah yeah but i saw you guys take a trip there on one of your videos on youtube i think it was and uh the roller hockey community looks like it's more along the way than it is the ice rink right yeah well this is the same they, now during the pandemic it was actually closed down uh the ice rink was closed down it's in the top of the hotel there uh that they have so uh that was closed down it's open up now so now they're on the ice i don't know once or twice a week and then they skate there in the park every sunday uh cruising around a lot of kids and it's it's a lot of people and that's so they have hockey on one side and then they have like the speed skaters on the other side and uh yeah they're good athletes they're yep. they're fast they're uh, they're intense they go down and they block shots with no pads on and uh, they're uh yeah they live really have a passion and, and they love the sport and uh there's nothing more humbling than uh, than going to watch that. Right. So uh, I would I would recommend anybody uh, that uh, you know if you if you used to play in hockey in a certain way, then you know find a different hockey community, whatever that is. You know this that tournament that I went to in Bangkok. Now it's also they actually just played it now, but you can sign up. It's a land of smiles, I think. Uh, it's a tournament. You can bring your friends. You sign up. You go to Bangkok. You play this tournament. It's it's just amazing, and you meet all these different teams from all over the world, right? So uh, there's uh, if you love hockey, find a find a different place to go and play it in. Uh, I've seen there's some rinks in like the Himalayas now, and like you can go to China and play some outdoor games, and it's really fun thing to do if if you uh, if you enjoy hockey and you have a group of friends that you play with. Yep, yeah, it's cool to see you embark on this journey. So keep crushing it. But I think for a lot of athletes, especially pro athletes, when they leave their sport, retire, whatever it may be. That transition of what the hell do I do next can be really challenging. And I'm sure you struggled with that in the very beginning. Uh, but now where you are with Atunia, what have you really learned from the world of business that you didn't really understand when you were playing in your NHL career? Huh. Yeah, there's a lot of things. Yeah, no, I don't. First of all, I, I don't think I, I struggled with that. I had a lot of things that I, one of the reasons actually I think I stopped playing because I, there were some things around that I wanted to do and get into and learn. And I mean, now three years in, so to speak, or around three years. Yeah, there's a lot of things, but you, yeah, you can work a lot. Like when you're an athlete, there's, there's a short amount of time that you're working and the rest of the time you try to do as little as possible. Uh, so you can be as good as you can with this little time that you have, like the two hours or whatever it is in a day, right? And now it's completely opposite. Like you can work all day and all night if you want mm -hmm. to. Nobody's going to stop you and your body might stop you at some point, but you your brain can you can do a lot of things right and uh, i think that's an adjustment i had to make i had to apply some 
some sense into that. You know, I'm not 22. I'm, I'm, I'm almost 42. So I was, I had to find a new structure around how to do that and, and what's, um, what's normal and what can I do and, uh, how do I want to live my life in that way? And, um, so I think that's, uh, the work-life balance for me, try to figure that out. I was always quite a, quite an extreme individual. Uh, I think I applied that in my training and my approach to the game. And I think I do the same now. I, I basically trying to figure out how can I, how can I be as good as possible and enjoying that at the same time? And uh, so that's, I think that's the, the biggest lesson. And the, the complexity of running businesses, I don't know, like I've never been in an executive position where in hockey, so I would, I would know I was just a player. Uh, but there's complexity in working with people, of course, and, uh, you know, having all of these different things that you kind of need to figure out and getting exposed to. Whereas uh, if you're just an athlete and you're focusing on the kind of the one thing and you've been doing that for a very long time, then... Um, it's more about delivering that than maybe learning a lot of new things all the time. So, yeah, I mean, I have to start over basically. I'm starting from scratch and, and I didn't know anything and I'm learning a lot of things every day and that's that's a lot of fun. Right. Yeah, so I think that's, uh, there's a lot of things. I can make a whole list, I think, of, of the things that I'm learning. It feels like every day it's like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. Now I have to... Right. What, what does that mean? And I have to look that up and talk to somebody and have, you know, advisors that will tell me certain things. And uh, But I have a lot of good people around me, which is, I think it's important. And uh, people that are, are passionate about the startups and, and uh, companies that we have. And uh, I think that's, uh, you know, that's the most uh, important thing that people really want to do it. Yeah. I think athletes have a pretty large advantage when diving into the world of work and the real world per se is because they have that competitive advantage and they also know how to work in teams. So they have that going for them. They might not have the technical skills of that industry or what it takes to be a founder, but I think they can quickly adapt given their what they've done in sports and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's just being, if I can be humble enough to understand that I can be the stupidest person in the room, then, exactly. then that's, uh, that's good enough for me. Yeah. Exactly. And so, no, I'm fired up for my Atunia package. Excited to rock that gear and, and check that out. We'll dive into some rapid fire. You can do one word, one phrase, uh, but we'll shoot right through. And uh, yes. here we go. So who was your favorite athlete growing up as a kid? Mm-hmm. Good question. I'd say uh, Ray Bork. Ray Bork. I thought <laughs> yeah, that was going to be the answer. Yeah. So who's your favorite athlete to watch in current day sports? Doesn't have to be hockey. Rapid, uh, huh? Uh, you can take your time. Well, I don't want that much. Uh, who do I like to watch? Hockey-wise, I mean, it's hard to beat McDavid. Yeah. I mean, I don't watch that much basketball, but if I watch Steph Curry, he's, he's quite funny to watch. Incredible. Yeah, just uh, this approach of the game. I think who else is interesting? Well, I mean, I've been up close with some of these guys that I love to watch, but now they're not maybe on the peak anymore. Yeah, but Curry's nice. Maybe, um, yeah, of course, like watching McDavid or something like that. It sometimes is, and the things he does is... Uh, uh, you wonder how it works. Uh, I think Cal McCarr is one of those players too that are uh, quite interesting to watch. The new style of NHL defenseman and right. so, yeah. Right. Okay. And so now you've had a lot of great moments as an athlete yourself. You you talked about your debut as a rookie, your 2013 cup, your 2015 silver medal with Sweden in the Olympics. But you got to pick one. What is your favorite moment as an athlete? Yeah, I would probably say that's the 2013. I mean, it's it's 
it's close. I mean, that countdown also we had in game, um, I think that was game six also at home in 2015, like that. I remember that countdown, the last like 10 seconds or whatever it was, uh, as it was felt like it was 35 minutes long. Yeah. Uh, everything just slowed down. Uh, I remember that part also and, and uh, the very presence of, of that, that time and place. So I, I would say I would say that as well. Um, I mean, there's a lot of small moments. I mean, that build up to that, and especially when you. I remember in that it's almost like all the things are like lining up behind you uh, in that time. But uh, I would probably pick one of those two. Yeah, I think that's that's quite obvious. But yeah. Yeah, and sticking to your athlete days, what was your favorite pregame meal? Ooh, uh, that changed a little bit going back and forth. When I was uh, when I was in in New Jersey, I ate uh, rigatoni pasta, rigatoni vodka, vodka sauce pasta, and chicken and some broccoli. Uh, that wasn't great for my stomach. I realized after a couple of years, uh, I really loved that though. But uh, then. Uh, uh, I think that the last part of my career, I ate, you know, chicken or rice, uh, sweet potatoes, uh, maybe some salad and uh, some broccoli, maybe something like that. So nothing too, uh, too fancy with chicken. Yeah. Back in my athlete days, I also did the rigatoni with vodka sauce and quickly realized yes. it's not good I'm, for your stomach. I'm going to New York next week and I'm actually going to go go, go back to Hoboken where I lived uh, to stay on Thursday. So maybe I'll go down and, and have another one just uh, for old time's sake. Some yeah. of the best food in the world in that area right yeah. there. Yeah. All right. So a few more here. Uh, who's your favorite music artist right now? Oof. That's a good question. I, oof, I listen to a lot of different... I have a style that I listen to now that I really like. It's, um, it's Afrobeat... Uh, Afrobeat kind of house music-ish. Uh, it's from South America or South Africa. It's called the Amapiano, uh, which is uh, a style that I really like. And there's a lot of different art artists in that one, of course. But I, I would say that's uh, probably what I listen to. I do a lot of breath work and breathing exercises. So I kind of, I'm into like the, the little bit of the, the, the drony and like spacey music as well. But there's not that many artists or there is artists, but it's kind of mishmash. So... Yeah, I would say those two. Uh, I have also like some uh, some deep house if I'm going dancing. But there you uh, go. yeah, it's a combination of those, I would say. Yeah, yeah that's a two ends of the spectrum right there. Some breathing yeah, and yeah. then some deep house. I'll have to check yeah. out the, uh, the Afro beats though. That sounds interesting. Yeah. Um, two more. What is your biggest fear? Oof. Uh, no, I think, I think an enormous... Uh, like my biggest fear is probably to... Um, to leave this place and, and have done no impact. Uh, I think that's, uh, my ego is just screaming around that. What if you disappear and they didn't mean anything, right? Yeah, it's like, what, <laughs> I think that, that's what's written on the like, tombstone for Johnny O'Dea. Yeah, exactly. Like, what, what can you leave behind? How, who, who did you um, impact? Did you shift life, uh, the perspectives of, of, of people? Did they find it useful, the things that you were doing? I think all of these things are probably my biggest fear. Uh, I don't fear uh, death by itself, I think. I think I fear, uh, you know, not have done what was needed to do, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think you've, you've probably impacted a lot of people already, but I think you're well on your way to impacting a lot more, especially through Atunia. Um, and so one word that best describes Johnny Oduya. That is even more difficult. Yeah. I think you have to ask somebody else about that, actually. Passionate inspiration yeah, yeah, yeah maybe i don't know i i'd like to see myself as curious i okay. I, I think I, I yeah trying to explore the the world and myself as much as possible so i i'd stick with curiosity then to to keep it light and not too serious there you go there you yeah. go 
Well, Johnny, I appreciate the time. We have one final question to wrap it everything else we talked about today. A lot of lessons, but if you had that one lesson that you've learned throughout your journey through hockey and Sweden and with Atunia now, that one lesson that you could pass along to the next generation to help them accomplish their dreams, what would that one lesson be? Yeah, it, it has to with curiosity to do and, and try to, you have to find your way. Uh, I think that's, um, it's impossible to live somebody else's life and nobody f- fundamentally understands you the way you do. So you have to, uh, you have to explore that and it's not going to be perfect. You're going to make a lot of mistakes and do a lot of stupid things. And you'd see that as a progression and something that you can, you can build upon and, uh, yeah, just keep being curious and, and, uh, moving forward and, uh, don't have to take life as serious, but, uh, if you do, then, um, you know, you can take pride in being serious as well. So, yeah. You don't have to be perfect, but if you're going to fail, fail fast and, and keep moving forward. I think that's a great message. Johnny, thank you so much for the time today and look forward to do this again soon, maybe. All right. Yeah, we'd love to. Thanks, Danny. Thank you guys for listening to another episode of Pass the Torch. As you can see, Johnny is just an incredible human. He's easy to root for. And go check out his new venture, Atunia. It's awesome. I'm wearing the gear right now as I did this podcast. I worked out in it today. I watched sports on the couch. You can do anything in it. It's great. So go to Atunia.com. Use code TORCH15 for 15% off your order. That's code TORCH15 at Atunia.com. And thank us later. And so that's another episode. Please share this podcast with friends, as I mentioned. It goes a long way. We want to take Pass the Torch to number one in the charts in the sports category here. And we're on our way to do so. So continue to tune in each week. We have another great guest next week. Subscribe wherever you're listening. And we'll see you then. Let's go.